church, it's good to be back with you all. As many of you know, I got the incredible opportunity to take a study tour to Israel. I was sent by a group to fund me with 30 pastors to tour around Israel, and that was my first time there. I saw a ton, learned a ton. Um, It was an incredible opportunity. I was kind of half disappointed to come home and preach through Genesis because it takes away all the opportunities like in the Gospels to say, well, when I was in Israel and when I was in Israel. So I won't get to say that, but I will get to say to be there and to see the things that we've always read about and to know its geography and its place and its time. We're, We're talking about a book testifying to things that really happened in real places, verifiable by things outside the Bible. And it just grew, grew my confidence in this book and the things that we proclaim Sunday in and Sunday out. So with that in mind, let's pick up Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man as his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, will we marvel again at you, our creator God, And then would we understand ourselves in relation to you, that you've made us, that you've made us in your image, and that you love and care for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was reading the Psalms this week, and I read Psalm 8, and it's this beautiful psalm about creation. King David wrote it. And when he writes it, you can tell that his head is in the clouds when he's thinking about God, because he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you can almost picture him with Genesis in one hand and a telescope in the other as he thinks about the creator God and then looks up at the stars and says, quote, the heavens, the work of your hands and the moon and the stars which you have set in place. He's just overwhelmed by the glory and the grandeur of God who has made this world and everything in it. And he's thinking on him, which makes his next line so startling. If that's who God is, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? If that's who God is in all his grandeur, then what's left for us as humanity? And his answer is, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a human being, do you know that you have been crowned with glory and honor? I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. I don't know if this is a a high season, a mountaintop season where you're experiencing blessing upon blessing and your nearness to God feels so sweet or if this is the opposite season in the valley of the shadow of death 
and he feels very distant from you. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. If you are born again and baptized as we saw this morning and you are trusting in Christ and walking with him or you haven't darkened the door of a church in a while and you don't know exactly where you are in your relationship with God. But God has placed this awesome burden on me and on us to take these words from this book and say as clearly and passionately as possible to each of us, we are the crown of God's creation. We are the crown of God's creation. He has made us and then placed us in this world as a vessel to be filled to overflowing with his love. That's his design for us today and every day. But I'll admit that when we set about doing this in the next 20 minutes to talk about ourselves, humanity as the crown of God's creation, I'm afraid there's really two groups of people in this room and they each probably need to hear a different sermon but we only have time for one. And so we're gonna have to kind of meet in the middle. But I'm afraid that there are those on the one hand who already think too much of themselves. And then there are those on the other hand who think too little of themselves. And it sure feels like they both need a different sermon. You got the camp that already thinks way too much of themselves. When they hear the crown of, they're the crown of God's creation, they think, of course I'm the crown. Have you seen me? And have you seen what I have to offer? I mean, I'm the first thing I think about when I wake up and I'm the last thing I think about when I go to bed and I already knew that I was extra special in this kingdom and they are the ones that think too much. If that's you, just shoot up a hand right now. Are you of that category? And we need to hear, we got one of them, we need to hear we're the crown of God's creation still, but we need to hear we are the crown of God's creation. It is what God has made and within his creation, he has given us and endowed us with everything we have for his glory and our good. But then of course, there are those on the opposite spectrum who just, they think too little of themselves and they are crushed by their own shame and the ways that they think about themselves in those secret and quiet moments and and they imagine God being distant from them and they don't feel like a crown of God's creation. They feel like a heel of God's creation. If I was his crown, he sure has a funny way of showing it with all I've experienced in my life. And we also need to hear, no, friends, You are the crown of God's creation. He has made you and he adores what he has made and he loves you and pursues you even now. And if I had to choose this morning between self-esteem and a high estimation of myself or God's esteem and what he's saying in his word about me, then I pray I have the clarity to lay hold of God's esteem every single time and quiet those thoughts within me and hear him speak his words to me. We're the crown of God's creation. He said it in Psalm 8, and so I want to see it in Genesis chapter 1, and God's going to show it to us in four ways, by giving us superiority in his creation, by giving us care, by giving us his image, 
and by giving us responsibility, a job to do. In all four of those ways, God will show again and again and again, you are loved and you are a crown of this creation. So number one, God gives us superiority. You know, we spent two weeks or two months talking about what God took a week to do in his creation. We said that we've marched through days one through six and in days one through three, God makes the habitations. He makes the spaces. He makes the heavens and the earth. He makes the earth and the seas. He's dividing things and making those spaces. And then in days four through six, he fills those spaces with inhabitants, the fish and the birds and the animals. And by creating in this way and in this order and creating human beings last of all as his final act of creation, it begs to show us that God has saved his best for last. He has waited to create human beings last that he might show forth his best, his best for last. You got this buzz of creation activity. We're really busy in verses one through 25. And then there's this almost audible pause. And then God creates what we've been anticipating, humanity. Us, male and female, in his image before God, he makes us. It is the crown of what he has made. All the while, every day that he's been creating, he has made something and said, that's good. And he's made something and said, that's good. And made something and said, that's good. And we've marveled at the things he's made. He's made the stars, which are incredible to to think about the galaxies. And he's made the seas and the oceans. And you think about their power. And he's made the animals. And you think about their diversity. And every day, God says, it's good and it's good and it's good. And then he makes humanity and steps back from all that he has made in verse 31 and says, now is very good. Without you, it's been good. With you, humanity, with you, humanity in this world, now I declare it very good. We may feel in this season unseen or unnoticed or unheard or disregarded, But look again at Genesis 1, how God has placed us prominently in his creation. Look around and tell me that there's an object or a creature that has his affection over than human beings who he has put front and center. That's why he tells us in Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his We are the sheep of his pasture. Front and center, he places us in creation. Well, not only does he do it prominently, but he also does it with care. God gives us his care. He makes us last, but he makes us with such care because for the first time in the chapter, everything else God has just made and made and made, but for the very first time in verse 26, he takes counsel within himself about what he will do. Everything else he can just make. But verse 26, he says, let us do something. One God in three persons. Let us go about creating humanity. And then the whole thing slows down. And he gives more attention to human beings than anything else he has made. And he uses that special word create three times in verse 27. And he makes us with such care. 
Now, by making us last and making us with such care, he's really just gotten the world ready for us to dwell in. We've talked about this before. God, as a hospitable God who has made this house for us ready, because every day of creation is described in relation to us. Like this is God who's doing the creating, so he could, he could describe it in his terms, I made the heavens down below me. But no, he says, as a human being, we look up and we see the heavens above. That's what he's created. When we come to the vegetation, we're talking about shrubs beneath the human being and, and trees above us. And when we talk about the animals, God describes them in the ways that we would naturally divide the animals. All of these are being described in relation to us. And then he says it explicitly in verse 29. Humanity, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and you shall have them for food. Now remember, Egypt is coming out of, uh, Israel is coming out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And and she's been surrounded by Egyptian gods and Babylonian gods and, and they've been downloading and discipling her in a very different way, including the idea that the gods have made you, but they don't care about you. You're nothing to them. And they've made you to serve their whims. And the only reason you exist as a human being is to feed the gods by your worship. That's what you're here to do. So how shocking to hear, it's actually the other way around. God made you because he loves you and you don't feed God, but he's the one that feeds you. He's the one that gives you your daily bread. And when God creates, he just lays out this banquet table before us, spread with lavish gifts for us to come and take and receive and enjoy. Listen to Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. It says, God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. God, you just, you lay it all out, and we get to enjoy thing after thing after thing in your presence and in your name. We're just sitting here listening to the rain fall watering the earth so that when we leave here today, we all have something to eat. And that's God's care and God's care and God's care. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 when he says, look, human being, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. They don't think about these things. And what does God do for them? But he feeds them and he clothes them. They have everything they need. Are you not of more value than them? Every time I see a bird get fed, every time I see a flower bloom, I remember Jesus' words, aren't you more valuable than them? He will feed you, he will clothe you, he will care for you in his creation. So he places us prominently, but then he places us with such care and such provision. Number three, then he gives us his image. We bear his image. 
Now, Devin preached on this so marvelously two weeks ago, I hardly need to repeat it. But as Devin said, God does something with humanity he didn't do before. I mean, he made the stars and he made the animals and he made the oceans and he made all these wonderful things, but it is only with humanity that he creates us in his image and he puts his stamp on us. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. I heard a pastor once talk about that scene where uh, Jesus gets asked a trick question by the religious leaders. So they're trying to pin him down and they come up to him and say, Jesus, huge fan, love what you do. Uh, Just a question for you. Um, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And that's a great trick question to a, a Jewish leader because if you say, yes, we should, then you're supporting an evil regime. And if you say, no, we shouldn't, then you're in trouble with Caesar. And so they kind of have Jesus where they want him. And then Jesus says, give me a Daenerys. And he takes it and he says, whose image is on this? And they say, well, Caesar's. And he says, well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he could have continued, now bring me a person. And whose image is on him or her? And I want you to render to God the things that are God's. We bear his image. We we are in his likeness. He's made us. He's put his image on us. And he will have solidarity with us. This is an odd thing to say, and I don't condone violence of any kind, but I get a warm and fuzzy feeling every time I see a batter charge the pitcher's mount, okay? And let me explain. I don't support what's happening, but you know, a batter is is up to bat and a pitcher is his fault. He throws an inside pitch. He shouldn't have done it. The batter's angry, throws down his bat and charges the pitcher's mound. And you can't see it from the camera angle because all you see is the back of the pitcher and this angry face running towards him. But, but you know something special is happening. You know every other grown man on the field is also running towards that pitcher's mound. And what is the bench and the infield and the outfield saying? But that man bears our jersey. He's in a garnet jersey. And anything that happens to him is gonna have to come through us. And they just swarm like bees over that pitcher's mound. And it's beautiful to see such love and such care. I mean, I love it. You don't even have to throw a punch. Just hold everybody, you know, just grab somebody and keep them from hurting anybody. But, but that kind of solidarity is just beautiful. He's with us. He's got our jersey and doggone it, we will stand for that man. In an odd way, that's the gospel. Here we are. In our sin and shame, you can't see it right now because the camera's tight on us, but we bear the image of the one who has made us and he will come to our aid and he will stand before the wrath that we deserve and he will hold us close and he will not let us go because he has made us, he has put his image on us and he will claim us when that day comes. Jesus is for us because we are made in the image of God. That's the gospel. We're made in God's image and God stands by his image. So he places us prominently. He places us with care. He places us with his image. Finally, God gives us responsibility. He gives us a job to do. 
And that's special because that's kind of like my house. Like the first time you come to my house, we're going to scramble to show hospitality. We're going to fumble over ourselves, make sure the laundry's away and everything's cooked and the table's set. You are our guest. You are here to enjoy. We want you to have a great experience. But the second time you come to my house, well, then you're family. I'm not putting anything away. And why are you standing there when there's a table to be set? Like, get in here and help us get the thing ready. Now you are family. We love you when we give you a job to do. And that's what God does in creation. No sooner does he make man and place him prominently and show his image and his care on this person that he shoves a hoe in our hands and says, let's make a garden together. I love you. And so I'm gonna give you a job to do. And right out of the gate, he tells us two things. Number one, you're gonna get dominion. Verse 26, let them have dominion over creation. Now, this is so important, we're going to dedicate an entire sermon to what does it mean to have dominion over God's creation, to subdue it, to work in God's world for God's glory. We've got a job to do here. And number two, the incredible responsibility of gender and reproduction. God makes us male and female, verse 27, and then tells us, you know, to get busy in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that's so important, we're going to dedicate an entire sermon to the fact that God has made us into genders and endowed us with the power to create eternal souls in his name and for his glory. That's big work to do. But in all these things, God is showing us from the very first page of our Bibles his love and his care for us. We're not an afterthought. We're not scrap material. We're not a cog in the machine that God has set up to roll with or without us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made to fear God and to wonder over him. We are the crown of God's creation. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He has Aslan saying this to Prince Caspian you come, to, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, and that is the honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your story is, doesn't matter where you come from, you have the image of God on you, and that's enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar. There's a holy swagger in being a human being. It's being prominently placed. It's being cared for. It's being given God's image. It's being given a job to do. All of these are from God to us, marvelous graces. We are the crown of God's creation. And that lifts our head in creation. And that lifts our head in salvation to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Would you show us again what it means to be made and made in your image, to be created, to respond and worship to you. And even though we don't, you have made a way for us to be redeemed into our truest selves and once again behold your glory and worship you. We praise you, Lord. And I pray that that the truth of being made and created by you would lift our heads, knowing your love for us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.